0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Good afternoon. My name is Derek, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'd like to thank Tamara S. for asking me out to share my experience with Vincent Hope. And uh also for the topic, the dark night of the soul. Uh, I thought that was uh, an appropriate topic. Um, like I said, I'm Derek, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, what we do is uh, we share in a general way what it was like, what happened and what it's like today. Experience, strength and hope. What it was like. My experience. How did I get here? My experience, strength and hope. My strength, what happened? Today I find strength in what happened to me. At the time I didn't, but today I find strength in that. Experience, strength and hope. What it was like, what happened and what it's like today. The hope, the hope is is that the life that I live today will be a reflection of Alcoholics Anonymous and what this program has done for me and done in my life. This is an amazing program. And I say that based on my own experience and not somebody else's. I love Alcoholics Anonymous and for what it's done for me. And I'm sure it'll do the same for you if you give it a chance. This program for me was not something that I looked for that I even wanted. It was something that I needed. And I didn't know what I needed when I got here. You know, um, I was thinking about this today and uh, I had my first drink before I could walk. Not intentionally, of course. Um, I come from a military family. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. Uh, I was in the Navy. My daughter's in the military, so I, I have a military family, and I was born on a little island in Hawaii called Oahu. My dad was stationed there, and uh my mom and dad married when uh, they were very young. My mom was 17. She had my brother and then had me. By the age of 20, she had two children and a husband, and uh she found it a little bit difficult to raise those kids on her own, so she, my dad flew my grandmother out to Hawaii to help raise us. And uh, my dad tells this story that, you know, um, when I would come, when he would come home off the ship, I would be in my crib, just acting a fool, just rattling the cradle, just rattling it, rattling it, making all this noise. And so what he started doing is he started pouring an ounce of Morgan David in my bottle. Back then they had these plastic bottles. He would pour an ounce of Morgan David in my bottle. And, uh, and I would calm down and I would go to sleep. And after that, every night when he came home, I would be rattling that cradle. And until I got my drink, I was not going to calm down. It wasn't until some, some time later that my grandmother started asking, what is staining these bottles? Cause the bottles were plastic. Um, and, and that my dad got caught doing that. And then, uh, I, I didn't have that anymore, but, um, But I know this is that um, after I got sober, I found out what Morgan David was and in the neighborhoods where I grew up in Los Angeles and South Central, Morgan David, we termed it Mad Dog 2020. So for those of you that don't know what Morgan David is, we call it Mad Dog. And uh, I don't know why they call it Mad Dog. So I started drinking at an early age, uh, and I don't know if I was born an alcoholic. I don't know if my dad had anything to do with me being an alcoholic, but none of that is even relevant. Really, what's relevant is that I've crossed the invisible line. I've crossed over into a dimension for which there is no return. Um, the book says science may one day accomplish it, but it hasn't done so yet. Uh, of my mom and dad, she had, they had these two children. Um, and uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was about nine years old. And and uh, my dad got remarried and my mom got remarried. Uh, my mom ended up marrying uh, a man in the Nation of Islam and he was a Muslim and my dad got remarried and his wife was white. So there was this this thing going on early on that I didn't understand, um, but I knew I didn't fit. And, and I share that part of my story is that... Um, I'm the lightest person in my family. And I grew up thinking that, um, that I was adopted for some reason. Uh, my mom is light, you know, my dad is light. Uh, my brother is light skinned, and he has blue eyes. And, uh, and so all of my family is light skinned. And, and, and I just thought that, uh, you know, I was different I I felt different. You know, when you start talking about the dark night, the dark night for me was a long night. It it, it was a long night. It wasn't just the, the dark night of the soul. It was a long night that lasted many, many years. And I had this darkness in my soul that I felt like I was so dark and so unattractive and that something was wrong with me. I remember by the age of um, 12, Uh, My my mom sent me to go live with my dad, uh, me and my brother, and we moved in with my dad and he lived in a a city called Orange County, and uh, that's here in California. And at the time, um, in the early 70s, uh, it was very segregated. Uh, It was uh, predominantly an all-white neighborhood. I went to uh, a school where there was three Blacks in the entire school, and two of them were me and my brother. And so I didn't fit. My brother fit in really well. He was light-skinned. He had blue eyes. And, you know, back then it was this thing where, you know, it was very uncommon for uh, a Black person to have green eyes. Gray eyes were rare, but blue eyes were just unheard of. And I remember thinking something was wrong with me. Something has to be wrong with me because I watched the attention that my brother garnered as a child. And that attention is what I lacked. And I wanted and I felt I needed. And I remember uh, my mom would send us to the grocery store and and, um, I would be buying the groceries. And when I would pay the woman, the lady at the cashier, she turned around to give me my change. And she saw my brother and she goes, oh, my God, your eyes are blue. And I wanted to say, give me my money. I just was just so irritated that people gravitated towards him. And um, so I grew up thinking I hated my brother. I grew up thinking I hated my brother. I later on found out after doing some work on myself that I didn't hate my brother for who he was. I hated myself for what I thought I wasn't. I thought I wasn't enough. I thought I wasn't um, what I would could be or wanted to be or, or who I could be or wanted to be. And so, you know, that started my my journey into finding something to make me feel better about who I was or what I was. And so um, I went on with my, 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 uh, I started drinking in high school. Or excuse me. I started drinking in middle school. That's what they call it now. And uh, I remember after my first drink, I knew that I had arrived. Alcohol did for me what nothing else could do for me. I got that sense of ease and comfort. I felt like I belonged. I don't know, I felt like maybe my skin got lighter, my eyes turned blue, and I was just uh, a part of. And and that started the beginning of a cycle that took me to places and depths that I never thought I would go. Um, I like to share a part of my story that um, a sis- my sister, who adopted me in this program, she's passed on and gone on to the big meeting in the sky. Um, Her name was Dr. Um, Yvonne P., and she was one of the most amazing people that I've ever met in my entire life. And she kind of adopted me in this program. She used to say, my brother, my twin. And she used to share this story I'm going to share with you now. Um, There was a little Indian boy and a stockbroker, and they were on the streets of New York. And if any of you ever been to New York, New York is very busy. Things are moving fast. People are talking fast. It's loud. And so they were on the standing on the street corner and they were talking. And, and the little Indian boy looked at the stockbroker and said, shh, did you hear that? Did you hear it? Reggie, did you hear it? And the stockbroker said, hear what? And the little Indian boy said, did you hear the cricket? He said, the cricket? He said, yeah, did you hear the cricket? And the stockbroker said, no, I didn't hear any cricket. And so the little Indian boy said, well, come with me. And he took him down a street, down an alley, up a flight of stairs. And at the top of the stairs was a flower pot. He reached down and he picked up the flower pot and there was the cricket. And the stockbroker said, now, how did you hear that? How did you hear that? And the little Indian boy just laughed. and said, oh, it was simple. And he put the flower pot back over the cricket. He said, come with me. And he took him back down the stairs and back down the alley. And as they were walking back to the corner where they first stood, the little Indian boy reached in his pocket and pulled out a silver dollar and flicked it over his shoulder. And when he flicked it over his shoulder, it hit the ground. And when it hit the ground, the stockbroker looked around and looked right at it. And the little Indian boy just laughed and said, see, you hear what you're listening for. I'm here to share with you today that you're going to hear what you're listening for. If you're listening for me to say something that you haven't found in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll hear that. If you're listening for me to say something that you don't necessarily agree with, you'll hear that. But if you're here to hear the message of recovery, you'll hear that too. You hear what you're listening for. So for me, my story is this. Once I started drinking, I got involved in all kinds of sorts of activities. And I decided that I was going to join the United States Navy, and that was going to fix me. I needed some discipline in my life because my life was spiraling out of control. I was drinking every day. I was using all types of party favors. And I just knew... That I just needed some discipline that's what my problem was, see, because I didn't know that I was an alcoholic i didn't know that I just knew I drank a lot and I partied a lot, but i didn't know I was an alcoholic i didn't know I suffered from the disease of alcoholism, and so I joined the United States military and i I excelled you know I went into to boot camp as an e one I accelerated, got out of boot camp, I was a petty officer. I was athletic petty officer. I was crack rifle CPO. I I led marches and parades in front of captains. And, 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 and it it was just, I was, I was, you know, war fever ran high. (laughs) That's what Bill said. Um, I was at the top of my game. I was doing everything, everything I could think to do. And I was being celebrated. And, And I remember one of the proudest days of my life is, Um, I I led the crack rifle drill team, that's a drill team that carries bayonets and they do these drills and they do these performances. And I was the uh, chief petty officer there. And so what happened when I was doing a performance, I looked up in the stand and I saw my father and he was in his full uniform with his Vietnam medals and his full regalia. And I was one of the proudest days of my life. Now I need to let you know something about my father. My father, although he used to put Morgan David in my bottle, my father has never had alcohol touch his lips. My mother has never drank in her entire life. My parents don't partake in those type of activities. So I'm not an alcoholic because my I come from an abusive home or because my parents were alcoholics. None of that makes me an alcoholic. What makes me an alcoholic is that once I take a drink, once I take anything that affects me from the neck up, i set off this phenomena of craving a phenomena an unexplained event i set off this craving i set off this craving and 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 then once i set off the craving it triggers the allergy once it triggers the allergy the craving tag teams the allergy and says don't worry about it we got it from here But that's not why I keep drinking. That's not why I continue to do what I do. Why I continue to do what I do is because I have this obsession in my mind. This obsession in my mind that one day I'm going to be able to control it and enjoy it. My experience is, is that if I'm controlling it, I'm not enjoying it. If I'm enjoying it, I'm not in control of it. But this obsession is in my mind. And this obsession in my mind continues to drive me to try various ways of drinking so that I can be successful. And once that obsession takes root in my mind and I trigger the phenomena of craving because I put one in, now I am out of control. My mind separates from my body. I have been in situations, and some of you may have too, where my mind is telling me, Derek, you need to stop. Derek, don't do this. And my body is completely separated from my mind and my body is doing what it wants to do. My body has separated from my consciousness. I can clearly know that this is not a good idea, but I cannot, I cannot, no matter how great the necessity or the wish keep me from doing that, which I know is going to harm me. So I go through this cycle I spiral through this cycle. I start having these episodes. I get out of the military and now I am full blown. See, because in the military, that's where I learned how to drink. That's where I drank with some of the best of them. We would go to work and go to the E-Club and we would drink until we couldn't drink no more and we would go back to the barracks. And I did this for years. And I had developed this this tolerance for alcohol that there was no getting to that right sweet spot. I always just wanted to be just drunk enough, but not too drunk. I, you know, the book says that it's so elusive. It's astonishing. What's elusive? That feeling. That feeling that I'm trying to catch that sweet spot where i'm 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 feeling real good but I'm not too drunk and I can still function, it's elusive I, I you know either I'm not drunk enough, I'm not drunk enough, oops, I'm too drunk. you know what i mean and and i I never could get to that little sweet spot. It says it's so elusive that many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. I'm trying to get to that sweet spot. And so once I got out of the military, I just decided I was just going to do what I wanted to do because now I didn't have the restrictions of, of being threatened, of being thrown in the brig and all these other things that they threatened me with um, because of my behaviors. And so I get out of the military and, and, and I don't want to come back to California. See, because California is where, where I left here to get away from. From From those party favors and from alcohol, under the the lash of alcoholism, that's why I got out of here in the first place. But at the time I was married, and uh my wife said, "We're going to raise our son back in California. I wanted to move to Canada. Canada was some of the nicest people I'd ever met. They were always friendly and welcoming and and I didn't want to come back to California to South Central because that here it was it was a jungle, you know there were gangs and people were shooting each other and there was drugs everywhere. And people were, it was just, it was just a jungle, a concrete jungle. And I didn't want to come back here, but I followed my wife back here and we soon separated. And after we separated, I didn't have any reason not to do what I was doing when I left. And I began to pick up again and it got bad. It got really bad. I'm talking about, I ended up homeless. I ended up destitute I had a a pair of jeans, a dirty white t- shirt and a sweatshirt and a plastic shopping bag. It's all I had to my name, all of those accolades that I had acquired in the military and all the things that I had accomplished and 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 and, and all of these. Uh, the education. I was an aviation electronics weapons technician and and having top secret security clearance. And I was supposed to come back and go to work for McDonnell Douglas or Northrop. and, And I was supposed to be somebody. I didn't end up doing any of that. I became the guy that you didn't want to see. I was the guy at the gas station saying, can I pump your gas? That's me. I was the guy with his hair packed on top of his head with dingleberries hanging off his beard. I was dirty, filthy, and nasty, and I was living like a savage. What was normal became abnormal, and what was abnormal became normal. It was normal for me not to have a key to any place to live. It was normal for me to sleep outside on the concrete. It was normal for me to go weeks without brushing my teeth or combing my hair. This was normal. It became normal to live like this. I didn't know what it was like to have hot water. I didn't, it was normal for me not to eat for days on end. That was normal. Today, those of you that know me, when I got here, I'm probably... Twice the size I was when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. It is abnormal for me to go more more than four hours without putting something to eat in my mouth now. But back then it was normal for me to go days without eating. I'd be on a liquid diet. I didn't need to eat. All I needed is just give me one more and I'm going to be okay. That was my experience. That's what it was like. It was really, really bad. I ended up homeless, sleeping under a freeway. I had a mattress that I had found, and I somebody it, flow, it fl- fell off of somebody's truck, and it, and I drug it on, under the underpass on the freeway, and I slanted it at an angle so that I could crawl underneath the mattress in between the wall and the mat and and the mattress, so people couldn't see me driving by on the freeway, and that's where I slept. That's how I lived. That's what my experience is with with alcohol. In 1988, I went to my first treatment program and I'd love to tell you guys from 1988 to 2022, I've been sober ever since. (laughs) I'd love to tell you that, but that ain't my story. I'd love to tell you that I went into a treatment program and I got sober and I stayed sober, but that's not my story. See, my story is this. I went in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And the reason why I kept going in and out is not because the program that's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't work. The reason why I kept going in and out is because I knew you people were doing this the hard way. Yeah, y'all was doing this the hard way. I knew there had to be another way to stay sober without going to these meetings. Yeah, it had to be. It had to be a way to stay sober without working those steps. And when I got here, be damned with getting a sponsor. For what? I don't like people telling me what to do. I didn't even understand the concept. I didn't like my mama telling me what to do. I didn't like my dad telling me what to do. I didn't like the military telling me what to do. I didn't like the COs in jail telling me what to do. I don't like people to tell me what to do. And then you come here and tell me I got to find somebody and ask them to tell me what to do. That didn't make sense to me. And so when I got out of that treatment program, they told me a few things. They said, go to meetings, work the steps, get a sponsor, find a God. Well, I already thought I had a God, so I didn't need to deal with that. That God thing was not something I, I thought I needed to deal with at the time and, 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 and go to meetings for what? Like, I got stuff to do. You know, I got, I got a watch now. I got some place to be, you know, and and work those steps. I just didn't understand the concept. And, um, and shortly after that, I got loaded. So I go back to another program in 1989 and, 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 and this time I'm sweetly reasonable. (laughs) Yeah. This time I'm gonna come to these meetings, but I ain't gonna work no steps and I'm not gonna get no sponsor. Shortly after that, I got loaded. I go back to another program in 1992. And this time, I'm going to go to meetings and work the steps and not get a sponsor. Shortly after that, I got loaded. Next time, I go back to another program. This time, I'm going to work the steps with a sponsor, but not go to meetings because I don't want y'all to know I relapsed. Shortly after that, I got loaded. I go back to another program in 1993. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I tried this thing every imaginable way. But the result was nil until I let go absolutely. Now, I'm not going to tell you what you got to do. I don't know what you got to do. I'm not going to tell you, you better go to meetings. You better work the steps. You better get a sponsor. I don't know what you got to do. This is a suggestive program for people who don't take suggestions well. We suggest you get a sponsor. Why do we suggest you get a sponsor? Because you need somebody on planet Earth to tell the truth to. Because the book says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not give themselves as completely to this simple program. It says some people are constitutionally incapable of being what? Honest with themselves. So if you are one of the ones like me who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself, I need somebody to be honest with because I lie to me. I lie when the truth would be sufficient. Sometimes I've been talking to some of my friends and a lie will pop out and I say, why did I say that? It just pops out. I didn't mean it. That just pops out. So I lie when it'd be okay to tell the truth. That's who I am. So now understanding that that's who I am, I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor so that I can tell the truth to why. Because I lie to me. I start telling me things that are getting me closer to relapse and further from recovery. And I need somebody to to keep me on track. I gotta work these steps because I gotta face and be rid of those things that block me from God. And I gotta go to meetings. I got to go to meetings so I can see what happened to people who stopped going to meetings. That's why I go to meetings. So I can see what happens when people stop coming to meetings. I see them taking newcomer chips. That's my experience. And we welcome them back because you welcome me back. Sometimes you got to go out and get your own experience. Experience is the best teacher. That's what they say. You guys heard that before. Experience is the best teacher. But I also know this, that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When you put those two together, what does that tell me? That if experience is the best teacher and when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the student becomes ready, his experience will teach him that which he needs to know. Oh, y'all not rolling with me. Let me say that again. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. When the student becomes willing, he's willing to look at his experience and experience is the best teacher. And that will teach you what you need to know. I needed my experience. I had to keep going to get some more experience. I had to become convinced to my innermost self that in and of myself, I will drink again. After being separated, from alcohol, I will drink again. With everything going good in my life, I will drink again. With everything going bad in my life, I will drink again. With 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 or without a wife, I will drink again. Children or no children, I will drink again. I had to become convinced to my innermost self that all my disease wants is an opportunity to separate me from you and separate me from hell. Why does it want to keep me out of meetings? Because it don't want me in the middle of the herd. If you look in the animal kingdom, when those lions are attacking some wildebeest, the safest place is in the middle of the herd. What do the lions do? They separate you from the herd, and that's when they pick you off. Some of you is out on the outskirts right now, and the disease is waiting to pick you off. If you anything like me, you need to be close to the middle of the herd. The herd has a mentality of its own. They take the young and put them in the middle where they're most protected. So that's why we tell you when you're new, get in the middle of the herd so you can be protected. Protected from what? Protected from you, protected from you. See, because my mind is a dangerous place. I remember my sponsor told me, Derek, your mind is like a bad neighborhood. You shouldn't even go in there without God. Like you need somebody to go because something goes on in the mind of Derek. I don't know why my mind is like this, but even after being sober for many years, my mind comes up with all kinds of crazy ideas. I don't know why it comes out of nowhere. Like I, I you know, I ride a motorcycle, and and so I'll be at the stoplight sometime on my Harley, and I got, you know, I got license, registration, insurance. I'm not worried about nothing. I'm sitting at the light, and the police pull up next to me. I'm not worried about nothing, but my mind will say something like this: Derek, I wonder what would happen if you just spit on the police and drive off real fast. What? Where does that come from? Well, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be in a high-speed chase. You guys are going to see me on the news, and they're probably going to shoot me. That's what's going to happen. But my mind comes up with these things. And so I look over at the police officer, and I smile. And he don't know what I'm smiling about, but I'm thinking to myself, if you only knew what's going on in my head. Thank you for sharing, Derek. Have a nice day. And i go on about my business. But this thing doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. We just learn how to live life on life's terms. You're going to be visited. Oh, you ain't been visited yet? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You ain't been visited on a day. It's not a cloud on the horizon. Everything is going fine. You lay down in your nice, comfortable bed and you go to sleep and you have a dream that you're getting loaded and you wake up and it takes Half the morning to figure out that you really didn't relapse. If you ain't been visited yet, stand by. You'll get your chance. I woke up one morning and I was convinced. I spent most of the morning trying to figure out how I was going to take a newcomer trip and how I was going to tell people I got The dream seems so real. This is the mind of an alcoholic. I know that I have a problem for which only a spiritual remedy can cure. That dark night lasted so long for me. What happened? What happened? After going through four other programs and burning my life to the ground, I'm talking about the ashes had ashes. I realized what I needed. what Not what I wanted, what I needed. I could see the light. Being a naval veteran, I happen to know that if you are on the ocean for which you can see no land and someone lights a candle at night for up to 30 miles away with your naked eye, you could see the flicker of the flame. No matter how dark it is, because Tamara, with this thing, that this title she came up with, the dark night of the soul, no matter how dark it is, you can see the light. I knew that you guys had something that I wanted and needed. I just didn't know how to get it. So what do I do? I check myself back into a program. August 13th, 1993, I go back to the Salvation Army in Santa Monica, California. More dead than alive. I've got a rash on the bottom half of my body because I haven't had a bath in two months. I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm nasty. I'm greasy like a filling station mop. I can't even manage to feed myself with public assistance. I burn my life to the ground, and I go into the program this time. And you guys didn't have to tell me what to do. I knew what I needed to do. Because every time I relapsed, you told me, go to meetings, work the steps, get a sponsor, and find God. The book says, may you find him now. It says, half measures availed us nothing. May you find him now. It doesn't say after you work the 12 steps. After working the 12 steps, you have a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. But God, it says, may you find him now. Because you need him to get through the 12. I needed God in order to make it through the 12 steps. And so I went in to the privacy of my own space at the time, which happened to be a bathroom stall. And I got on my knees and I got honest with God. See, because that God thing was a problem for me. Like I said, I knew you people were doing this the hard way. I thought I had God figured out. But when I relapsed the first time, I went back. See, I, 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 my understanding of God is a little bit different, and I'm not sharing this part of my story to put you in bondage. I'm really here to try to set you free. I was baptized Catholic as a child, and I went to Catholic school. And then one one day, my mother, after she got married, she said, "Oop, time out. We got the wrong religion. We're not going to be Catholics no more. We're going to be Muslims took me out of Catholic school and put me in the University of Islam. I didn't even know what a Muslim was. I just knew I couldn't drink, I couldn't smoke and I couldn't eat pork, couldn't celebrate holidays and Christmas, which none of that was attractive for me. So now we become Muslims. And then as I got older, I met my ex-wife and she was a Christian and she was the closest thing to God I'd ever seen. She didn't drink, she didn't smoke, she didn't curse. She went to church three times a week and twice on Sunday. And when I met her, she was a virgin. I knew she had a God. So every time I relapsed, you people told me I needed to find God. So I went back looking for him. When I relapsed in 1988, I went back to the Catholic Church. They told me to go to confession, to do these Hail Marys and Our Fathers on the rosary beads. I did everything they told me to do. Shortly after that, I got loaded. I said, okay, I know what I need to do. When I went back to the next treatment program in 1990, this time what I'm going to do, this time I'm sweetly reasonable. This time I'm sweetly reasonable. So so when I get out, when I get out of the program, I, I got to find God, right? So what do I do? I go back to the nation of Islam. I take my shahada. I make salat. That means I prayed on my face five times a day. I read. I fasted. I did everything they told me to do. And shortly after that, I got loaded. So I said, I know why I can't stay sober. I know why. The reason why I can't stay sober is because I ain't been saved. So what do I do? I go back to the Christian church. They laid hands on me. They prayed the demons out of me, anointed me with oil. I spoke in tongues. I did everything they told me to do. And shortly after that, I got loaded. Now, I'm not telling you that religion don't work. I'm not telling you that religion don't work. What I'm telling you is that it didn't work for me. And the reason why it didn't work for me is because I didn't believe it deep down in my gut. See, because if you read the big book, The big book says we need to be quick to see what religious people have been right all along. So I'm not telling you that religion doesn't work. What I'm telling you is that it didn't work for Derek. And the reason why it didn't work for Derek is because I didn't believe it like you believed it. See, because I had so many conceptions of God, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. See, that that Catholic God, that's my mama's God. I mean, that that my daddy's God. That Muslim God's my mama's God. That Christian God's my ex-wife's God. But where's my God? I don't have no God. My conception of God was everybody I thought was godly. Thank God for his infinite wisdom that he saw fit to create a place like this for people like me so I could find my way back home. I don't know what the 12 steps are for you. The 12 steps for me are a path back to God. Now, if God lead me back to a religion, I'll go. But for now, he led me to Alcoholics Anonymous. So for right now, I'll stay. Thank God for God thank God for God. Find you a God of your own understanding, and your conception of God is sufficient enough for you. You don't have to believe in your mother's God, or your grandmother's God, or your father's God, or your husband's God, or your wife's God. Find you a God of your own understanding. And your conception of God is sufficient enough for you. It's sufficient enough for you. And if you can't find a God that you... Of your own understanding, then how about this? Find a God that understands you. Find a God that understands that you don't understand. Find that God and ask that God to help you recreate your life. In the quietness of my own space in 1993 in a bathroom stall, I got honest with God. I said, Look here, God. I don't really know what your name is. I don't really know what religion you really in. God, all I know is that I need you and I need you now. And if you don't stand between me and the next drink, I'm going to get loaded. That's as rigorously honest as I can be. And that day I made a deal with God. I said, look here, God. The next time I think about getting loaded, I'm going to pray. you better take the thought away. Because if you don't, I'm going to get loaded. See, I've given up on Derek. I do not have the power to keep me sober. I do not have the power. Step one, I admitted I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. Step two told me I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I came to believe. Why did I come here? I came to believe. That's why I came. I came because I didn't believe. I came here to believe that something could fix me. Surely he who created me could fix me. That's why I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't believe, that's why I came here. I have a lot of foreign cars. And one car in particular, you know, it's so complicated that I can't sometimes seem to fix it. And if I can't fix it and something's wrong with my engine and I can't get in there and fix it, I take the car back to the mechanic. And if the mechanic can't fix that car, then I am forced to take it back to the dealer. In one particular situation, when I take it back to the dealer, the dealer can't fix it. The part has to go back to the manufacturer. I am broken. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous broken. I could not fix me. I went to you, you could not fix me. I went to the church, they could not fix me. Surely he who created me could fix me. I needed to go back to the manufacturer. Oh, y'all not following me. Some of y'all is broken and need to go back to the manufacturer. He who created you can fix you. You have to tap into a power that will give you the power to say, no, thank you. I'm not drinking today. I made a deal with God in 1993, August 14th. And this is the deal I made. I said, look here, God. I don't even know what your name is. I don't know what religion you're in. All I know is I need you and I need you now. And the next time I think about getting loaded, I'm going to pray. And you better take the thought away. That was my deal with God. That I'm going to pray. And because if you don't take the thought away, I'm done. I'm done. The obsession in my mind is so insidious that it will find a way to convince me to take the first one. And once it convinces me to take the first one, it does not have to convince me to take the second one because the allergy takes over. The allergy, I have an allergic reaction and and, and to a, a beverage or substance. I have a reaction that causes me to want more. And once I start, I cannot stop. I made that deal that day and I got off up of my knee. I got up off my knees and I said, thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, Allahu Akbar. Cause I didn't want to leave nobody out just in case. Cause I didn't know you ain't got to know what God's name is. All you got to do is know what he does. He takes the worst of us. He brings out the best of us and he sits us in front of us and shows us what he can do with a life. If you give him a chance. What it was like. I told you what happened. What it's like today. What it's like today is that I tapped into a power that can do anything but fail. You can call him what you want to, but you better call. My life today is beyond my wildest dreams. When I got out of treatment in 1994, my sponsor asked me, because I did everything they told me to do this last time. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I got a commitment. I was of service and I found God, a God of my understanding. Step three says, made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood him, not as you understand him. It says understood. Why does step three say understood and not understand? Because more is being revealed. You have to continue to enlarge upon your spiritual life. This program is a design for living. I'm not here to seek a solution to the drink problem. I'm here to seek a solution to my Derek problem. The drink is not the problem. I am the problem. The drink was the solution that no longer worked. I need to seek a solution for what is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. I am different than normal people. Other people do things. They can take it or leave it alone. Once I start, I cannot stop. So I have now tapped into a power that has given me the power to do anything I want to do. I haven't found things that I don't that I want to do that I haven't been able to do. When I got out of treatment, my sponsor said, What did you want? What do you want out of recovery? It was simple. I wanted a full pack of Newport cigarettes and a bus pass. That's all I wanted. That that was that was my aspirations for my life. And I, I, I just want to stay sober. I want a full pack of cigarettes so I can hit the pack like that. And I had, so I don't have to pick up butts off the street no more. I wanted a full pack because in California, you could buy single cigarettes one at a time. I, I when that, Back then I was smoking cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. But at the time, that's all I wanted was a full pack of cigarettes, And a bus pass so I could get to and from meetings and I didn't have to ask nobody for a ride. That was my greatest aspirations. If that's all I would have gotten, I would have been okay, but I would have sold myself short. I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I got out of that treatment program and I ended up being able to start a, a company, a security company. I ended up with 150 guards and I, and a lot of my, first employees came out of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was able to put people back to work. I was able to provide for my family. At the time, I ended up with four children. And I stopped worrying because you guys told me if I was gonna worry, why pray? And if I was gonna pray, why am I worried? See, when I got in treatment, I was worried about how am I going to provide for these kids? I I have burned my life to the ground. I'm homeless. I'm in a treatment program. How am I going to provide for these children? If you're going to pray, why worry? And if you're going to worry, why pray? I stopped worrying and I asked God. I said, look here, God. I had to come to the understanding that what kind of God would give me four children and then not make a way to provide for them? What kind of God is that? So I didn't start, I stopped worrying about how I was going to provide for my children because God had to make a way. It's not my job. My job is not to stay sober. My job is to stay in touch with the power that keeps me sober. My job is to stay in touch with the power. His job is to provide for my children. My job is to stay in touch with God so he can show me how to provide. That's his job. I stopped, I took the God suit off. Because some of us is walking around here thinking this is what we have to do. No, what I have to do is stay in touch with the power and be obedient and follow the doors that he opens up so that I can get to where I'm supposed to be. I thank God for this program. I thank God for this program. I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. If you guys haven't figured it out, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I got, I got all the toys and and motorcycles and all that other stuff. I got a nice house on the hill with a pool and a jacuzzi and all that good stuff. But, but I don't even go home anymore. I've been living, if you haven't figured it out, on a boat. I've been living on a boat for the last two years. I don't even go home. The last time I went home was on Christmas. My two sons stay at home. They watch the house. I don't worry about it. This is where I want to be why because this is as closest to God as I can get right now. Being out on the ocean and watch the tides come in and the tides go out and 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 I got a God that tells the sun to rise and then he tells it to set and it obeys him and I watch the sun come 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 up in the morning and then go down in the ocean it's something powerful and magnetic about being this close to the water. I was I'm a Pisces. I was born on the island of Oahu. So I guess this is just in me and where I'm supposed to be. I love my life and I love the life that I live. And I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm telling you that when I got here, all I wanted was a full pack of cigarettes and a bus ass. That's all I wanted, but God wanted something else for me. He didn't need my cooperation. I mean, he didn't need my permission. He just needed my cooperation. He didn't need my permission. And I've just been cooperating for 28 years and a few more days, it'll be 29 years. One day at a time without a drink. My life is amazing. My life is a mateys. I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm telling you that to find you a God with some power. Find you a God that tells the sun to rise and then it tells him to set and it obeys him. Find that power, tap into a power that will recreate your life. I truly believe this. I truly believe that God reached down under the freeway and he picked me up and he dusted me off and he gave me the life you see me living for one reason and one reason only. That's so that I would come here today and tell you that he did. And I truly believe that that God keeps me sober one day at a time so that the next time you see me, you'll know that he does. Tamara, again, thank you. I love the title of this meeting, The Broken Elevator, because you people taught me that if I'm trying to get to the 12th floor and the elevator's broken, the only way I'm going to get there is I got to take the steps. Thank you guys for letting me share